Well, a jolly hello and welcome to lucky episode number 13 of Talk Sports, our ongoing adventures in the art of lively conversation. Yours truly, Gary Zabinski here, your host and tour guide, alongside Cruise Activities Director and Titan of the Teeterboard, Roscoe. How's the circus training going, Roscoe? The circus training is going spectacularly. This is a reference to our last podcast where we had awesome circus performer, choreographer, and co-founder of the Actors Gymnasium here in Evanston, Illinois, Sylvia Hernandez de Stasi. And she suggested that you might actually be a candidate for the, the teeterboard act, where you're at the top and they flip you over and you land in a chair on the yes. shoulders of two or three other circus performers. Have you been practicing? I have been practicing. I've also been doing a little bit of the trapeze and walking tightrope. How many chairs have you broken? 19. <laughs> and counting. Well, back in our early talk sports days, we mentioned that we would be having a number of guests on our program from time to time, and we've been keeping up with that promise in, in recent episodes. And in episode number one, a certain name came up. You remember this, Roscoe? I, like it was yesterday. Which we were purposely circumspect about, as he's a well-known recluse and may indeed be <laughs> even hiding from law enforcement, for all we know. But wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles, we have managed to entice him into our program today, and he's going to be with us for the full duration of the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the guru of gargantuan facts, the pride of Midlothian, Illinois, our good friend, George. George, welcome to Talk Sports. Well, thank you, Gary. Thank you for having me. Hello, Roscoe. It's so wonderful to see you, as always. Well, thank you. It's been... It's been um, I didn't know you joined the circus, though. I'm like an onion. You just keep... Peeling back layers and learning new things about me. Oh, well. a rather large onion. A rather large, there are bul many bulbous onion. Bulbous <laughs> onion. Now, just to clarify and to give a little history about ourselves, George and Roscoe and I, and indeed, uh, recent guest Larry Newman Jr., we all went to the same university together. I'll mention the name because we haven't really talked about it. Illinois Wesleyan University in Bloomington, Illinois. Several of us were in the theater program. George, I think you majored in human hygiene. <laughs> yeah, it was human hygiene. Or religion. Which one No, was it? it was an English degree. English degree. 45 minutes from now, you'll be wondering what the hell English degree, but... Or how good was that university? <laughs> yeah, well, no, that... That's an excellent university. We don't have to say anything bad about them. Yeah, sorry. Roscoe and Larry and I were in the drama department. But you performed uh, several things on stage. You mm -hmm. were part of the whole clique that uh, was there. I remember you being in, what was it, uh, uh, Macbeth? We were, we were no, no, torch no. carriers or something? No, my debut was in Waiting for Godot. And, you know, a masterpiece of existentialism. And who were you? I, well, now you're testing me. Oh, I was Astragon. Not Godot. No, there is no Godot in that. <laughs> yes, I'm aware of that. I thought perhaps that would be your acting debut. They told me the host was going to be more knowledgeable than this. Well, I'm trying to lead you into some dialogue about things, but apparently you're going to be well, petulant. I can't, oh, oh, well, no. I mean, it's 
Wait, must you start attacking the guest right away? <laughs> this is supposed to be a show where we, we talk about the, the warmth of our love for each other and our collected love of theater and rejoicing oh, in our history is together. Is what it is? I feel like that's what it should be. And We've all, in some fashion, been roommates as well at various times in our I've lives. I've never so roomed with you. Not with me, but no. you and George have been roommates yes. before, yes. Yeah. I and Larry and I and George, uh, or me and George, have yes. been roommates before. Uh, so we all have a long and long varied history with each other, and it's great to have you here, George. Good to have you out and about. Well, thank you. Nice to see you. Uh, speaking of the Actors' Gymnasium, uh, Roscoe, I just wanted to mention one thing. I got their recent registration brochure, and um, you may also be taking a contortion class. Oh, God. <laughs> and it's only $240, and it's all levels. It's an hour and a half every Thursday for about six or eight weeks. I think that that might be a good way for you and I to limber up. I, th- I think it would be, and then we could uh, videotape it, and there could be a video component as a little add-on to our podcast. Love that. We could put that on the website, and they could see what we do in contortionists. Let me talk about a couple of things. Will it- they edit out when the EMTs come to unravel you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that will probably be the drawing card. The jaws of life will have to come out. <laughs> jaws <Who> is- of lives. <laughs> I think Nan- Nathaniel West, who wrote Day of the Locust, once wrote, there, there are a few things sadder than the truly gigantic. Gigantic, which is what could be said about me in a contortionist class. Well, knowing Sylvia as we do now, I think that she could be quite good for you. I think that she could teach all levels of people and skills and athletic abilities. But surely there must be some kind of health requirement before you start this. I mean, you just can't walk into a classroom in the middle of the day and announce I want to be a contortionist. I can barely... Type. I was going to say, your body has to be limbered in some way. I would think so. I, I can barely tie my shoes at this point. There, I, would, there would have to be some sort of pre-medical exam without yes. question. Let me ask you a little bit about something current in the news. Did you happen to watch any of the GOP debate the other night? Oh, Lord. You know, someone, someone said, there's three things I don't want to talk about this summer. Caitlyn Jenner, go tell a watchman, and Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) I've read that. (laughs) I I watched a little of it, and it's it's really just shocking. This is really these are really the people we have running for the Republican nominee nomination for president to lead our country, and and they're they're clowns, idiots dangerous people. You know, we never say this. I mean, these, these aren't, some of these people aren't just people with radical ideas or different ideas. They're, they're downright crazy and dangerous. Did you see any of the uh, debate there, George? Yeah, I hate to comment on him because, you know, he's so litigious. But frankly, I, the thing that's... Well, first of all, I've started to believe that Senator Cruz looks like Joe McCarthy, and that has scared the devil out of me. Mm. But... Then I started noticing that Mr. Trump kept jutting his jaw up, and every time he did it, I thought, if he was bald, he'd look like Mussolini. (laughs) And so I thought to myself, well, this is the end. Any day now, there's going to be brown shirts marching in the streets if this goes on for much longer. He's got an ongoing, yes, indeed, he's got an ongoing uh, debate now with Megyn Kelly of Fox News over some uh, comments that he has made recently. Well, he didn't back down today on... He was on Meet the Press. Meet the Press this morning. He phoned in, but is still insisting he didn't say anything wrong, whereas apparently at least 
50% of America is shocked. I, I give him credit for being the person that he is and standing by the person that he is. I got to give him credit for that. He's not backing down from these things. But how ridiculous is is he going to get? How much more ridiculous can his comments become? Uh, you, uh, people keep thinking this is it. it he's, he's, he's jumped the shark. This He can't go, and, and he just keeps going and gets more and more popular. And now there's a... You know, and my taking the train to our lush studios this morning, I was reading the Drudge Report, and there's a it was an article about ten thousand women writing to Fox urging them to get rid of Megyn Kelly. Got the manipulation, please. It'll be interesting to see. At some point, everyone in the GOP has to tell Donald Trump to shut up and get out, and and to see Cruz and Bush. Um, parsing their words and being too afraid to offend him is more telling about them than about Donald Trump. Do you think his... Li- Sorry, George. Oh, I was going to say, the, the, I, I, I stuck it out for as long as I possibly could. But the thing that bothered me, at least it's true, when Trump talks, he is saying exactly what he means as opposed to the campaign rhetoric or campaign talking points that all the rest of them... Because you didn't get a sense that anybody was saying anything honest. They were just repeating what their pundits told them to say. And do you think so I this thought is... Marco Rubio looked more put together than he has probably before. He seemed like he had at least a sense about what he was supposed to be doing. But you, it, it's too early. Why do we have to have, you know, 16, 17 months of prelude to the presidential election? It's, it's reality TV. Well, I understand that. But, I mean, the other side of the coin is most people in America are so fed up with the political system to begin with, whether at whatever level, that the nonsense we have to watch with the presidential elections is ridiculous at this point. Do you think that his popularity or continued popularity in the polls, and I haven't seen polling numbers since the debate, whether he has dropped in the polls or whether the gap between him and second place, third place, has tightened a little bit. Do you think that it's a result of people thinking that, well, finally, here's a fresh voice. Here's someone who's actually saying what they think. Well, I think there's a gap between what people are telling the pollsters and what they will do when it comes time to walk into the election booth. If someone called me and said, hey, Mr. Fraser, this is a random call. Who are you going to vote for? I'd say Donald Trump, <laughs> just just to F with them. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, George, if you, if you were voting Republican? Oh, no, I certainly couldn't say I'm voting for Mr. Trump. No, that would be too much to do. No, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know, because I think there are too many of them. So far, too many choices. How can you too possibly make a choice? It would be easier to say, this is who I'm not voting for, as opposed to who I am voting for. Is but it 17 now? 16 19, or 17? 19. 19. 19. You know what? Here, I'll make a prediction, this, and this will oh, be in the archives forever. Let me write this down. Go ahead. Kasich. Ohio. It's the only person who sounds... He, he's a northerner, for, for one thing, and uh, he's the only person who sounds like he's not crazy or a bush. And, you know, I've always had a thing for Carly S. Fiorina when she was known as Carlton S. Fiorina and ran HP into the ground, but now she's just Carly. Just call me Carly. What do you mean you've had a thing for her? Your, Some, your wife is in the room right somehow now. Somehow I've had a thing for her. Not, not in a sexual way so much. At all, actually. <laughs> just, well, I just don't know where this is going to go. It's highly entertaining. And 
not quite as maddening as it's going to be as it gets closer when we really get down to who is going to really be the nominee or who's going to be close to the nominee. Um, but I, I have to admit, it's entertaining. Well, we certainly should enjoy Christmas this year because after that, it's all bets are off and we're off to the races for the next you know, 11 months and it'll be intolerable. So you heard it here first. Enjoy your Christmas, everyone. Enjoy your Christmas and your New Year's because after that, it's all downhill. 2016 will be an excruciating 11 months until we hit the election. I want to ask George one thing, however. This is a complete digression. A couple of months ago or a month ago or so, there was a photograph that appeared in the press out of the UK of the royal family back in the late 1930s, all giving the German salute. Oh, yeah, they made a big stink about that, didn't they? Big stink about it. Which is completely ridiculous. It is. She was how... Queen Elizabeth was how old? It's the surge towards finding rats where there aren't any rats, I guess. Because the reality is, if anyone knows about English history from the 1930s, it was Neville Chamberlain's policy of appeasement. So everyone was more or less appeasing the Germans. And so giving the Nazi salute wasn't considered something egregious. It was part of the culture of appeasement. When the Olympics were held in Berlin, all the teams, except for the United States, gave the Nazi salute. These are, this is part of historical record. So, yeah, it was, you know... Much ado about It was nothing. unearthed, and, you know, and even looking at the photograph, it just seemed like it was done in jest anyway. Well, and she's seven years old. Right. Like a seven-year-old is going to be politically aware. Uh, but it, it, was, it, it made me think of you, George, because I know that you're a student of English history and certainly of the... Uh, royal families and all of the royal lineage of England. How about those royal kids? Are you proud of them? They, well, well, I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> really? Not a thing. <laughs> we, I thought they might call you Uncle George. Oh, yes, that's right. I <laughs> forgot where that invitation to the christenings were filed away. <laughs> must have gotten lost. It in, must have in gotten the, lost. In the post. Well, let's move on to our cultural updates because we have a lot to talk about. I want to cover something uh, briefly here that uh, I went to see a couple of weeks ago. We went up to Glencoe up here in uh, Glencoe, Illinois, on the North Shore to one of our favorite places, Writer's Theater. Mm -hmm. And we went to see a play called Doubt. You're familiar with Doubt, Mm -hmm. the John Patrick Shanley play? I have doubts. (laughs) I have doubts, indeed. (laughs) Uh, Most people would probably be more familiar with the film version that came out a few years ago with the um, late Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep. And uh, that was a, a very fine movie, I thought. Well, well made. And everybody got nominated for that film. Well, we went to Doubt in Glencoe. And as we've mentioned before, Writers Theatre is building a new theater, a whole new theater complex on the site of their old theater. They've torn it all down. So in fact, they're rather homeless. They don't have a main stage space. So they've been looking for places to do at least a partial season while they're doing the building. And so they decided to stage Doubt in a church. Oh. And it was fascinating. It was a beautiful wood-paneled space that they augmented with a few set pieces. They didn't have to really do much to it. but It's not in the sanctuary. Not in the sanctuary. It's in a space they call the library. It was was a lovely production, uh, some very nice performances. But I wanted to just read one thing. The biography of John Patrick Shanley in the program was fascinating. 
I'm just going to read this. It's very short. John Patrick Shanley, playwright, is from the Bronx. He was thrown out of St. Helena's. He was banned from St. Anthony's hot lunch program for life. He was expelled from Cardinal Spellman High School. He was placed on academic probation by New York University and instructed to appear before a tribunal if he wished to return. When asked why he had been treated in this way by all these institutions, he burst into tears and said he had no idea. (laughs) Then he went into the United States Marine Corps. He did fine. He's still doing okay. That's his bio. Are you kidding? (laughs) Didn't he win an Oscar for writing Moonstruck? Exactly. (laughs) I guess he didn't figure that was important. He didn't figure that that was important. A couple of other things that we, I wanted to mention that the season there opens with the new theater in March. It should be done by then. And we had a small tour of the outside of the construction and it looks gorgeous and beautiful. Uh, One thing that they are doing in their new season is a production of Company which I haven't seen in a million years. You saw the Raul Esparza production a few years ago. did indeed, with Elizabeth Stanley, who I interviewed at the Sondheim program a couple of weeks ago, uh, just after our our Taste podcast. And and who, just days after you interviewed her, was announced that she will play the female lead in the national tour of the Bridges of Madison County. Why, why they're touring a terrible musical that ran for 30 performances on Broadway, I don't know, but I'm glad she has work. Something you predicted right after the Tonys was that On the Town would close two days later. Well, it hadn't, but it is now. Yes. And I mentioned that because Elizabeth Stanley's in that show, right. and now she's got herself a new job. Good for her. I always love to hear when actors have new jobs. You and I, Roscoe, had a cultural ex- experience of our own, And I want you to expound upon that a little bit. Let me set this up for our listeners. We went to a review show, which was being videotaped for broadcast on PBS later this fall. It is a review of Candor and Ebb music. The title is called First You Dream, which is the title of a song from one of their shows, Steel Pier. And is the music of Candor and Ebb. And we went to the North Shore Performing Arts Center to see this for free. And they had cameras everywhere and boom cameras and sweeping shots of the audience. So uh, when it does air, keep, I'll let you know when that's going to come on. Keep your eye open in the balcony because you might see Roscoe and myself sitting there cheering madly because that's what they wanted us to do. As contortionist. <laughs> I was not contorting. (laughs) Ross was contorting, but I think that's because he had to go to the bathroom. Ah. And they wouldn't let you out during the taping of of the acts. You had to just sit there. Why don't you give us a little impression of uh, your experience at First You Dream, Roscoe? First you dream and then you scream. (laughs) Because this show was miserable on so many levels. We arrive at the theater. It's a candor and review. It's called... First You Dream, which is uh, the title of a song from their flop musical, Steel Pier. That would be like doing a a Rodgers and Hammerstein review and calling it Allegro and other songs. (laughs) I mean, why why emphasize that? So a couple of things. 
the performers were, I believe they were identified at the very end of the show. Did the announcer tell us their names? The announcer told us their names at the beginning of the show, but it wasn't really a formal introduction. He was just wasting time trying to get the audio and, and video up. Right. But yes, yeah. he told us the names. I have all those so we, six performers. Yeah, we walk into a show. There are no programs. We don't know what the musical numbers will be. We don't know who the performers are. The, the most bizarre lineup of songs to honor Candor and Ebb. As you said, they've written Chicago, Cabaret, New York, New York. I think maybe what they were thinking is, let's, let's really give exposure to the little-known songs. Well, sometimes little-known songs are little-known for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was one boring number after another. Now, numbers. So- the, the overture starts. Uh, let me back up to the overtures. And it's bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 and all that jazz. <laughs> yes, I should sing on the radio or on a podcast. But the point is, they do the three big numbers that we all know Candor and Ebb for, and then seven minutes of music, and I had no idea what any of these songs were. So I would say three quarters of the show was unfamiliar music. Let me back up just a minute so I can set this up for our listeners. This show, First You Dream, was first conceived and performed at the Signature Theater in Washington, D.C. It was put together by uh, artistic director Eric Schaefer, and it featured a 19-piece band um, backing up six performers. It then subsequently was picked up by the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington and done on stage there a couple of years later. And different performers, although some of them were the same, and from what I can tell, different lineup of songs. Not all of them, yeah, we but looked many up the, of we, them. We looked up the reviews. I tried to it, find a song list for either of these things. I tried to find a song list for the one we saw. Cannot find it because some of those songs, as you say, were so little known that I didn't even know the titles of them or what, or what shows they were from. At any rate, somehow someone has put up the money for this show to be filmed, and they decided to come to Chicago and film it at the North Shore Center, and it's going to be broadcast on PBS on November 20th. So that's a bit of a history of how this cabaret show, this review show, came to be. It hasn't been done all that often. Why don't you tell us about some of your favorite performers, Roscoe? Kate Burton. (laughs) Am I getting that right? Let me correct you. Kate Baldwin. Kate Baldwin. That's right. Kate, Bald- Kate Burton is um, Richard Burton's daughter, who doesn't get a lot of work and perhaps doesn't need it. I don't know. Sorry if you're listening, Kate. Baldwin. And Kate, if you're listening, please sign up on our website at <laughs> www.talksportscast.com. Go ahead, Ross. And give us, a, give us a thumbs up. <laughs> big, two big thumbs up. Go ahead. So inexplicably, why, why, why must this always happen? We're, we get there early. We get great seats, and we have to move because something they've decided to do is to light the audience. So whenever there are audience reaction shots, and so just bringing the lights up on the house, in most of the balcony where we were sitting, you have blinding spotlights in your face. So we got there early enough we were able to move. Moments before the show starts, two women walk in with a five-year-old child for a television taping. And I must say, he was extremely well-behaved for a five-year-old child. Nice haircut, suspenders, beautiful little Dressed shirt. Dressed up. He was out for an evening of song and dance. Yeah, and, and he knew, for the most part, to be quiet. And this is a running theme in the show. A great musical number starts, and someone has to bring out their water bottle and start glugging water to upstage what's happening on stage. This is a running obstacle of yours whenever you go to the theater. Why is this? I I don't know. You mean people are 
You know, it was Our American Cousin was the last time I was at the theater, <laughs> so I'm a little behind the times. Well, since, since, since that tragic... I thought you couldn't go into a theater with a water bottle. No, now they sell water bottles for $5 and they let you bring them into the theater. So that... Because we live in the Sahara? I, because I, you I, can't <laughs> sit through a two-hour play without being refreshed? This is, you know, whenever they redo a theater in New York, they always have to, to, to multiply the bathroom space times four. And someone wrote in and said, you know, this theater's always held 800 people. It used to have two stalls in the bathroom. Why do we need 18 now? Someone else wrote in because everyone drinks water all day long. So the two women and the child, one was clearly the mother, one was the oh, grandmother oh, back, back or the Back to the story aunt. we were telling. Sorry about the story. And then this little boy who sat between them. And they were right next to me. You right, were one yes. seat over on my other side. <sighs> And you, as you say, he was he was well behaved for a five year old, but he, he's a five year old. He's fidgety. He was in his seat, out of his seat, leaning forward, kneeling on the ground, crawling on the ground, up and down, and out of the corner of my eye, all I could see was this activity going on. And not only that, but to my other side, where Roscoe was sitting, I could see him whipping his head around and glaring at this child. So out of both of my peripheral visions, I could just see this activity. I, frankly, for half an hour, I have no idea what went on on stage because I was being overwhelmed by, by peripheral activities. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm sorry. And if I didn't have a series of mental illnesses, I would be able to block out these things and enjoy what was happening on the stage. But instead, all I can do is think about this child and think that if I stare at this child hard enough... You're completely undermining your authority being able to criticize about anything if you're going to say you have a series of mental illnesses. And you've had those for quite some time. I, I thought I, perhaps you might have done something about those I, by now, but I, the, apparently not. None of the pills have worked. Which is another reason why the people have water in the theater, clearly, to take their medications, because we're all nuts. <laughs> That's it. They have water so they can take their medications during the show. You've nailed it, George. Thank I don't you. care about this obscure Kander and M song. I've got pills to take, for God's sakes. <laughs> So let me let me let me get to the point because we're we're beating this into the ground. Finally, finally, Kate Baldwin stands center stage and does the number "Sing Happy," which is the big eleven o'clock number from Flora the Red Menace, nineteen sixty-five. Sing me a happy song about robins in spring, and it's a real it's a real belt. Raise the roof. She did it. She did it great. She, she did she it. Really she did a great job. And as she's really ratcheting up, and you think, oh my god, this is the number. Out of the corner of my eyes, I see the five-year-old dig for his water bottle, open it, glug, 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 sing me a ha glug, glug, happy, glug, 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 song about glug, 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 robins, glug, glug. So I, 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 and I literally, I put my hands to the side of my face to blot out the child. Yeah, and that's when I really lost it because now I'm sitting there with a child and a guy with his hands next to his eyes <laughs> right next to me on the other side. I, I, I was and, getting And, and, and one seat screen. over, your wife is weeping because she knows that, that you and I are both ready to explode and fall apart. She so. keeps leaning across her like, everything okay? Are you guys okay? <laughs> so at the end of this... Fine, we're fine! At the end of the number, I lean over and I go, I think I might move. And you said, please do, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> it's true. I would rather you had moved than I kicked the little kid out. Yeah, so I moved to the back row of the theater. 
and I sat behind someone who was... Under the follow spot booth, which is uh, where you like to sit. Well, well, I wasn't originally under the follow spot booth. I was behind two people who decided they had to look at their cell phones and read text messages during the show. So I was going to... This is allowed? No, it's not allowed, but it happens all over. I was going to snap their necks in half. I think, and then, that, I think that woman you know who's been teaching the contortionist class should probably have some kind of theater etiquette class that people are forced to go to first. How can you misbehave? Well, of course, what am I saying? People do it in church, for God's sake, so. Are you going to church these days? Well, I've been in a church recently. Really? Yes. Oh. I went to Doubt. Did I mention that? Well, it's in a church. <laughs> it's, it's in a church. in a church. Yes, people sit during religious services and have their cell phones out. <gasps> are, they, are they reviewing the Bible passage on their phones? I or? don't know. This was at a wedding, and somebody was sitting in front of me and was looking through their iPhone. Oh. And it's I the thought, end of civilization. Well, I guess it's it, all right if you're just you know, there and don't really care what's going on, but it seems awfully rude. The theater etiquette these days is just, it's appalling what people will do while they're supposed to be paying attention to what's going on on stage. It almost makes us not want to go to things anymore. And if we do go, and we've mentioned this before, we have to have the exact right circumstance. We get there early, we scope the place out, we pick the best table or the best seats where we don't think people are going to cross in front of us. We spend a lot of energy trying to get the best experience for us because we want to pay attention to what's on stage, Mm -hmm. what we're paying the money for, what those people are working so hard for us to enjoy, not the guy on the cell phone surreptitiously trying to read a message and not shine light. Everybody can see that. We can all see it. And no one will call people out on it. Well, I was at, uh, I'm jumping here, I was at the Goodman on Wednesday night seeing the Albany Park Theater production of Feast. And after they announced that there is no photography, videotaping, or use of cell phones, a woman in front of me starts taping the show. With her phone? Yes. And she was right in front of me. So I leaned over and tapped her on the shoulder, and I said, don't do that. (laughs) I scared the hell out of her. (laughs) And you know what? She quit videotaping. (laughs) You should just lean over after they make the announcement and said, this means you. You're not exempt from these rules, contrary to what your belief may be. Maybe they should create sort of like a buddy system where you're responsible for the person to your right. Yes. Everybody, you're responsible for the person to your right. If you see something, say something. If you see a recording or somebody on their phone, the person to your left is going to call you on it. And this is how society is going to devolve into complete and utter violence. I think it should happen in church. It'll start in, it'll start in the theaters and the churches. And that's... <laughs> the theaters and the churches, just like communism. <laughs> it's perfect. I told a woman off in church once, though. It was, during a, it was during a religious ceremony, and there were two of them behind me, and the entire mass, they did nothing but talk. I mean talk. Almost full voice. And, you know, in Catholicism, then you come to the handshake of peace. And so I turned around, and I said, I am not going to shake your hand. You have done nothing but talk through this entire service. You're disturbing everyone else, and you are a complete disgrace. And the two women, their mouths dropped open, and my sister is next to me, and she is appalled, shocked beyond words. But the husbands who were next to the wives said absolutely nothing. <laughs> so I figured, all right. Sort of like the handshake of disgrace. <laughs> sort of like it was. You were being completely uh, outed in church. <laughs> did, were the they, handshake were, of shame. Did, how did they, re, did they slap you? They or? stopped talking. Good. 
Let's go back to the candor and ebb. What else did you enjoy about the show? I, I believe it was also Kate Baldwin who did a thrilling version of New York, New York. Dead center stage up on this giant platform, and we had to wait pretty much three quarters of the way through the show in order for that to happen, right? For that giant platform to be used? Yeah, or, yeah. For, used and for that number. It to was actually. diamond-shaped. And right. as we were waiting for the show to begin, I said, what is that diamond-shaped thing there? And I said, clearly someone's going to stand up there and sing something. And of course they did. But it took 75 minutes and it just sat there as unused space. Talk to me about the mashups of songs that you uh, witnessed that evening. <sighs> the, the, the one most notable mashup, of course, what is, what is one of the great Candor Neb numbers, maybe this time, which they have to mash up with a song called The Money Tree, which was the act one closer in the act, Liza Minnelli's, 1977 musical, which ha has probably the worst score Kandrin have ever written, that they'd ever written. Uh, After Our American Cousin, I think was the next show I saw was the act. You saw that? I did. With Liza Minnelli? Yeah. At the Schubert Theater? Yeah. And? It was awful. <laughs> it was a dreadful show. <laughs> what did you think of her? Well, I mean, she's a performer, so that was fine. But yeah, it was a dreadful show. But you've she never been a big fan of hers. Well, no, but you know, you would go and see something like this because you don't now you don't see that kind of stuff anymore. Wasn't she? In you the know, road? stars don't come on the road if they do something on Broadway. Whereas thirty years ago, there would always be you know touring companies from Broadway shows that would come. And you're saying the original cast people yeah, would like the original come with cast the show? People. Yeah. Like an Angela Lansbury yeah. or Cheetah Rivera. Cheetah Rivera George would come. I saw Carol Channing might come. Catherine Hepburn was here in West Side Waltz. Yes. So, I mean, but dude, that doesn't happen now. I mean, Hugh Jackman hasn't come to Chicago with anything. No. On Broadway. Bernadette Peters hasn't been here since The Goodbye Girl. Let's wrap up on this Candor and Ebb show. I thought that it was a. Lovely looking production. They had a full band. Talk, talk 20, about them mopping the floor. 22 piece band. They had this sparkly patent leather black floor. Well, it wasn't patent leather, but it was shiny black. And for the first 45 minutes before the actual taping occurred, all that was done were stagehands mopping that floor back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You, you, you could have done your makeup in that floor. That's how shiny it was. But the set looked pretty good. The 22-piece uh, band uh, was, was sparkling and wonderful. Many of the arrangements were beautifully done. It just kind of left me cold. Now, I suspect that when we see it all as one piece, and there were a lot of pauses because they'd stop after every number and reset for the next thing. And mop the floor and, so, it would, so that Ted Cruz could look, see to put on his eyeliner, which we <laughs> didn't talk about. They appeared to be wearing eyeliner on the GOP debate. Not only was there not really a flow to the songs because we weren't hearing familiar ones, but there wasn't a flow to the show because they kept stopping to reset for each taping of the next number. So you could never get a real feel for it. You could never really fall into the tempo of the show. I suspect it's going to be a lot more entertaining on PBS when they do it back to back to back and you get to see it all as a piece. I'm looking forward to that, seeing if my judgment on that is actually correct or not. It was quite an experience that night. George, how do you feel about nudity on stage? Why? Is there, is there something terrible going on now about nudity on stage? Well, we had Larry Newman Jr. on the show. Oh. And one of the topics that came up was... 
how often he had appeared naked in either full undress, full frontal, full back, full side undress. Well, not to be live on this, but he likes to take off his clothes on stage. We, I've known him for 35 years. It's not something he has an issue with. We discovered that, and he actually has a absolutely encyclopedic mind about every time he he's has taken done his clothes so. off. He's done so. We went to see, not you and I, Roscoe, but uh, my wife and I went to see a production of The Judas Kiss the other day, which is a play by David Hare mm. about Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. We went because a friend of ours was in it. Well, we're there, and we sit down, and it's in a little cabaret space. We're very, very close. It's not a, a room as big as your living room, and we're very, very close to this stage, which is really just the floor, which is a, supposed to be a hotel room. It has a bed, and it has clothes strewn everywhere, and empty plates and cups and dishes, and it's in disarray. Lights go down. In the dark, we hear the sound of violent lovemaking going on. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not sure I can take my friend Oscar Wilde right off the bat doing that. Well, the lights slowly come up, and on the bed under these sheets, there's clearly two people doing it rather loudly. This is in the first 10 seconds of the play starting. Within 30 seconds, they pop out of bed. Not only do we see full frontal female nudity, but then moments later, for no apparent reason, the guy has to drop the sheet that he's been wearing around his waist, and we get full frontal male nudity. And I'm telling you, not 60 seconds of the show has gone by, and it could not be more right in front of us. Well, what do you, what do you think of this? Was it, do you think that this is Was gratuitous? this necessary? Not, not particularly necessary. And how close... I mean, you could have probably reached out and touched it. Well, we... <laughs> if you had desired to do so. That, that's, a great, that's a great slogan for some sort of product. I'm yes. not exactly sure what. We chose seats because we got there early. We chose seats sort of as far in the back uh. and high as we could possibly get because I knew we were very close to the stage. But there were people, our listeners can't actually see this, but you and I are sitting across a dining room table from each other doing this podcast right now. There were people that close, and I'm not sure what they were to make of it. Uh. Did they look? Did you look at them? Did they look away? Were they I averted my eyes because <laughs> <laughs> I could see it coming. I thought, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to see this. I just don't want to see this. Uh, it, this show is not. Is this the show that only had like four performances? Had about four performances. Yeah, absolutely. Why, why bother? Why did they do that? Well, it was a fundraiser for the Dead Writers Theater Collective, but there seems I, to be a lot of nudity I going know. on over there. Do you? I know. Yeah. What, what do you know? Well, your, lo- your lovely wife and I, two days after 9-11, by previous arrangement, went to see Naked Boys Singing, which was a review in 2001 with a gay theme. But they basically came out and disrobed immediately. But then they started singing, and sometimes they put clothes on, and sometimes they you know, would still be naked again. But after a point, it became kind of moot because the shock value was taken away almost immediately and then it just was based on entertainment whereas the way you're describing this play there was no reason for the shock value per se did it have anything to do with the and what was it supposed to be oscar wilde 
It was not Oscar Wilde. Oh, I was going to say, it what was, was he doing in it bed was a, with a it woman? It was a maid and a servant, a chamber servant or something, who eventually turns out to be bisexual, I guess. He's, he's stooping the maid, and he's also semi-attracted to Oscar Wilde. What, what, what well, so I thought, it was completely gratuitous. Gratuitous, indeed. Okay. You, know, you know, last season there was a show, and I can't remember the title, and there was a show about the aftermath of an industrial fire and some men who get stuck in a um, fire because there are dangerous manufacturing processes going on. And one of them is wearing a fireproof suit and he's caught in this flash fire and needs to be cut out of the suit. And when they cut him out of the suit, he's completely naked. And he is spread out on a bed and is laying on the bed gravely, burned and there's other action ensuing around him uh, because he's unconscious but it's a naked man on stage so all you can you know your eye is completely drawn to the naked man well yeah but but that at least makes sense because there was it, it, it was being used as a plot device what i found most astonishing was not 30 seconds was I in my seat when the lights go down, then there are two naked people mm. in a play that has nothing to do with... It was not like two naked people in the Judas Kiss singing <laughs> or anything. I was not prepared for this. It was just out of the blue. I can only thank my lucky stars that it wasn't Larry Newman Jr. <laughs> <laughs> now listen, you two roomed together for quite a number of years, correct? On Rue de Unfashionable someplace? Yes, uh, yes, in yes. the Rue de Unfashionable. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that experience. It was after college. You guys oh, were... How could pretty... anyone possibly be interested in this nonsense? Well, you never know. Um, it was after college, and you were working where, Roscoe? Were you at the radio station at that point? Yes. You were knee-deep in your Kennedy era, or Kennedy assassination conspiracy theory phase of life. Yes, did George help you with that research in any way? No, it was finished by then. I'd done that documentary in 88, and we moved in in 1990. But I had all those books in mm -hmm. the house and all these creepy books with, you know, autopsy photos of Kennedy. And George would look at these and go, how could you even sleep with these in the house? Yeah, they were kind of gruesome. Well, and that was during the, my uh, attempt to return to the stage was during those years that I lived with George. What were you doing to return to the stage? Were you auditioning? Or were I was auditioning. Practicing your nude scenes? I was practicing my nude scenes. Well, in fact, he was in a play with nudity, right? Yes. Yeah. You weren't nude, but no. everyone else in the cast was in Yes. Rape. Did you see that show? Oh, God, okay. yes, I had to sit through that. Oh, it was terrible. It was an awful show. It's my Waterloo. Do you remember? We the don't, I can't remember what the name of the show it was. It was so. uh, Mountain Natural Sunbathing. <laughs> it, it was it was Mountain View natural sunbathing something that like that. Oh, I have no idea. That doesn't even ring a bell. I thought it was something more ridiculous than that. Was I in more than one show with nudity in which mm, I wasn't nude? No, you were. No, then you know, the other show was your. Was that the show that you were dressed up in? No. Okay. I was in a show where I played a female impersonator, but we were a late night slot and we couldn't get into the dressing room, so I had to get ready at home. And someone would pick me up in a station wagon in my alley. So George would help me get into a... Bustier. A bustier hose. Was it one of those lace-up things where you had... Well, it required assistance. I see. 
I was his dresser. It, it was like it was like Mammy trying to make my my waist seventeen inches around <laughs> in Gone with the Wind. If that's, but he'd be in full makeup. And wh- why did you have to get loaded in in your alley in the station? Well, wagon? because there was no place at the theater for me to get ready because uh, we were the we were the second show going to the uh, space, so the dressing room was already occupied. So, so <laughs> granted, this only happened a couple of times. I would like to think it happened every weekend. It didn't but, happen every weekend. And, it only and, happened. And I had this uh, un- uncanny ability to to move like Margot Fontaine in my five-inch high heels. And so this is in the middle of February. Size 13. Size 13. George would help me get dressed, help me with my makeup, and then we'd hear a horn honk. And I think it's probably even before cell phones. I didn't think she could call oh, me. No, yeah, it was like the telephone. Yeah, and I would... And I would run down my back stairs in high heels and into a waiting car. Oh, no, I think at least you had sense to put different shoes on. You didn't go galumphic out of the house and... Five-inch high heels. I would like to think that I did. Well, yes, it was bad enough too. that you were yeah. in a full wig and a dress. Yes, and I was quite good. And it the, was. The, um, what was the name of the show again? It was. They had done the Don Juan Project at Bailiwick uh-huh. Theater. So there's several different plays playing in repertory that were riffs on um, the Don Juan story. This was called Don Juan on Halstead, and it was a musical. And uh, I believe the Sun Times said that I deserved a sequel all to myself. <laughs> And that I came up with a star, the Tribune said I came up with a star, a star turn by Roscoe. And it was quite thrilling. And I, George, George and I got along reasonably well, but uh, those, that, this was back in the day when both newspapers would, the reviews would hit the press the day after opening. So I saw these two rave reviews for my performance and I was quite pleased with myself. And I came home that night and George started talking to me about how the electric bill was late and when was I going to get the doorknob fixed in the bathroom. And I finally said, George, could we maybe talk about the reviews I got in the paper today? And he said, and what reviews would those be? The ones that proclaimed you the toast of two continents? <laughs> yes, that sounds like George. Yes. Did, I, did this happen, George? I don't, I, I, I can't remember. They, I can't believe the two major newspapers reviewed that dreadful show. Oh! <laughs> God, yes. But maybe it did. I don't remember. I do. It does sound right about the, you know, yes, the toast of two continents. I probably would have said that to you. So this was in the phase where you were trying to revive your stalled stage career. Yes. And what happened after that? It sounds to me like those kinds of reviews would have boosted you into the next echelon. Well, one would have thought, and I, I think I did six shows in three years while working full time. And the last show was a <laughs> Christmas musical in which I miraculously went from playing an aging drag queen to a grandfather in a Christmas musical. I was working Yes, but that's still around, isn't it? Yes. So you could still be a, a stalwart of Chicago theater. I, well, I could that be. That show, you did get excellent reviews. In. I, did, I, did. I did. You'd I, be a good grandfather now. I would be a good grandfather now. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we did five, what happened there is we were doing five shows a week. It was a musical, and I was working full-time. And it, this is why people get out of theater. At some point, you get too old, and you just can't do it anymore. And, and it's just too hard to work 40 hours a week and then do five shows. And I started a new job, and we were going to do the Christmas show the next year, and she said, I need you to work. I need you to be here working. Well, at least you have your memories. <laughs> yes. Top building Monday, Tuesday, you're touring in stock. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Well, we're running a little short on time, and I thought we'd get to our closing sequence, which we do every podcast, every episode, uh, called The Kiss of Death. Oh, my. Don't be scared. It has nothing to do with you. We profile someone that has recently left us, um, but we profile them in a way that celebrates their life. This is from the New York Times, and it's not completely recent. It's a couple of weeks old, but I found it fascinating, and I hope both of you will as well, and that you'll have some comments on it. I'm going to ask you some questions. Blaze Star. Ah. The voluptuous stripper who was billed as the Queen of Burlesque and whose affair with the Louisiana governor was the basis of a 1989 movie, died on Monday in Wilsondale, West Virginia, the coal country town in which she was born. She was 83. With thickly luxurious, fiery red hair, an ample bosom, and a penchant for playful humor, Miss Starr stoked the imaginations of legions of admirers from the runways of clubs across the country for more than 30 years, seducing many men along the way. Either of you? Either of you? No. No, no. no I didn't think so. Her most famous affair with Governor Earl K. Long of Louisiana, who was married, caused a scandal that was the basis of the Ron Shelton film Blaze, starring Lolita Davidovich in the title role alongside Paul Newman as the governor. That was actually a quite a fun movie. The film drew on her memoir, Blaze Star, My Life as Told to Huey Perry, published in 1974. Miss Starr said that she and Mr. Long were engaged to be married when he died in 1960, two months before his divorce was to become final. She continued to wear a five-carat diamond ring that she said he had given her. Society thought that to be a stripper was to be a prostitute, Miss Starr told the New York Times in 1989 at the time of the movie's release, but I always felt that I was an artiste, entertaining. I was at ease being a stripper. I kept my head held high, and if there is such a thing as getting nude with class, then I did it. There's my nude reference. <laughs> Unlike the Judas kiss, which is not very classful at all. She was born Fanny Bell Fleming in Wilsondale on April 10th, 1932. As a child, the eighth of 11 in her family, she washed laundry for $1 a day. As a teenager, she got on a bus to Washington and landed a job there as a singer in a country band. But while working at a donut shop, this, I, there's, there's a lot, big leap of faith in this next phrase. But while working at a donut shop, she met a promoter who persuaded her to become a stripper. What, what, what kind of conversation do you think that was? Hey, honey, you shouldn't be selling donuts. You should be taking your clothes off. I'll have a glazed donut at a manager's special, and I think you should just start stripping. <laughs> he said that the pay would be better. Well... At 15, at 15, Miss Starr began performing at a club near the Marine mm. Corps base in Quantico, Virginia. In 1950, after moving to Baltimore, she stepped onto the runway of the Two O'Clock Club. I like the name of that place. The Two O'Clock Club on the block, that city's famous strip of adult entertainment shops and stages. Two of her sisters following her lead would also work as strippers on the block. Miss Starr gained national recognition when she was featured in Esquire magazine in 1954, hailed as the successor to Lily St. Cyr. Ah. You remember her, George. I, vaguely. 
She made many of her own costumes, part of a stage wardrobe, including three Ming coats that was valued in 1967 at $20,000, which is about, I don't know, $150,000 in today's money. I didn't have a thing to do between shows, so I started to, show, to sew, Miss Starr told the Times. She had recently spent four months sewing and gluing hundreds of beads on a black lame gown. She also designed her $100,000 ranch-style house in Baltimore, complete with a purple sunken bathtub and fur-covered fur furniture. Uh. <laughs> the newspapers called it Bell's Little Acre. She was earning up to $100,000 a year in the mid-1960s. $100,000 wow. a year for, for doing burlesque in Baltimore. On stage, she often delighted crowds by tucking a rose in her bosom and blowing the petals across her chest. Sometimes she stretched out on a couch and wiggled seductively while removing her garments. When she got to the last pieces, smoke would emerge from between her legs, drawing laughs. Oh, my God. <laughs> How do you think they did that effect, Roscoe? Why don't you think about that and come, and come maybe, up with some plausible Maybe I can learn that in circus school. Oh, that would be awesome, you know, you know, while you're doing the splits. While I'm doing the splits. <laughs> he does contortion, and then smoke <laughs> flows out of some orifice of his. As he jumps into the Chinese splits, amazing the audience. Miss <laughs> Star. If you jump into Chinese splits, it's going to be spontaneous combustion that's taken the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Spontaneous combustion, I believe, is also one of the courses that they offer at the Actors Gymnasium. You can only do it once. Yeah, it's only a one-time class. It's on a Monday, so they can, so they can clean up for Tuesday. <laughs> Miss Starr met Governor Long while performing at the Show Bar in New Orleans in 1959. She recalled their affair in her memoir and also claimed to have had a sexual encounter with... President John, John F. F. Kennedy, Kennedy after he attended one of her shows. Miss Starr performed for more than 30 years, sometimes in the Times Square Theater District, before hanging up her G-string and pasties in the 1980s. That sounds like something Marguerite Fox would say. Yes. She hung up her G-string. She, she performed into the 1980s? Indeed. Telling People Magazine in 1989 that she stopped because burlesque had become raunchy. She became a gemologist, making jewelry and selling it at a mall in suburban Baltimore. Mm. In a short video profile filmed before the movie Blaze was released, Miss Starr was asked whether she would change anything about her life if she could. Not a thing, she responded. I would just do a lot more of it and try a lot harder and seduce a lot more men than <laughs> I did. Blaze Star, burlesque star tied to a scandal, dies at 83. Fabulous stuff. No. Roscoe, I, I just want to address the uh, point in the show where no one ever lets you talk. Uh, you're here with George and myself. Anything to add to what we've uh, chatted about already today? Is that a regular segment? No one ever lets you talk? It is a regular segment. <laughs> I, he rarely lets me talk. I thought you were going to slap me the other night with that candor nub thing. <laughs> but you let go of things. <laughs> I eventually did. Did you want to ask George something? Yeah, any other thoughts on the royal family? I know that you follow them closely and they mean a great deal to you. Do you worry about the queen dying? Well, it's inevitable, isn't it? Yes. But she's also got longevity on her side, so I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. You think Charles will ever be king? I'll be dead before the queen. <laughs> Do you think Charles will ever be king? 
Well, he's, what, 65. It's so bizarre. It's a bizarre life. It's a bizarre You have to wait lineage. forever and ever to assume the job you're trained to do, and to assume it, your parent has to die. It's a very bizarre life. The only thing they serve a purpose for is continuity and a focal point for that country. And they always say that about the Americans, that we lack that kind of thing. And so we manufacture it with, you know, our cults of celebrity in Hollywood and the stars. But with rare exceptions, they manage to behave themselves very well. And they do set an example for that country. And They've been know, very well behaved. We'd be much better off to follow their example than the nonsense that goes on here. They've been very well behaved in the last five years or so, mm -hmm. um, especially since that great-grandson was born. Mm -hmm. It's been, they've been a regular kind of model family mm -hmm. since then. And, and Prince William comports himself very well, married a beautiful woman who seems to have a lot of class. Worry about Prince Harry. Well, he seems to be doing fine, too. But he, how old is he now? Well, he's past 30. Oh, it's time for him to find a wife, I think. Well, easier said than done. Yeah. What do you mean? There's plenty of eligible women out there. Well, yes, but then they end up being nuts when they get into that family. What, are they nuts afterwards, or are they nuts before? Well, it seems like, unfortunately, it's afterwards. Mm. They are seem you... to be doing better with this, but poor Princess Diana and that half-tramp, the Duchess of York, were <laughs> certainly not exem exemplary to who getting married in that family. True, true. Why is the Duchess of York a half-tramp? Oh, she's just... Haven't you... I can't, I'm going to get sued after being on this. I'm going to be sued by Donald Trump and then I, humiliated by the Duchess of York in court. That's all I need. It'll make the marriage in Ontario on my happiest of days. Has <laughs> she been whoring around? Well, I haven't followed it. No, I remember. you know, she's just an opportunist in a, you know... Oh, are we talking about Sarah? Ferguson? Oh, yes, oh. yes, yes, yes. Through the Weight Watchers and... Apparently she showed up this year at Royal Ascot and hasn't been there in probably 15 or 16 years and so horrified Prince Philip in his open carriage <laughs> that he had to turn around and look again. <laughs> he was aghast that she was in the crowd. Doesn't she? Doesn't she live in Canada permanently or something? I thought she was in New York. Oh. Thought maybe she'd moved oh, to Oh, no, she Canada. isn't. That's right. She's back in... No, she's back in England. Her and Prince Andrew apparently still share a house. No. Oh, Yeah. Wow. You don't read much about it. get on the... Where's the People Magazine podcast? I think I walked into the wrong studio. Indeed. <laughs> well, speaking of walking into the wrong studio, we're glad you walked into the right studio today, George. We've <laughs> been trying you. to get you on here forever. and uh, as It wasn't as nerve-wracking as I would have thought. This is my first radio broadcast. Well, I... That's great. I'm happy to hear it. It's not radio. It's podcasting. Well. And it's all editable. I know, but it's a microphone in front of your face. It looks like radio. Well, thank you uh, again, welcome. George. And Roscoe, as always, you son of a gun. <laughs> I light up your life. It's been a pleasure. High and five. High five. There we go. Gosh. Jesus. <laughs> and that's about as sporting as it gets. That's about it. We didn't talk about sports on this broadcast. We just did. Is there anything to say? Cubs. Yeah. Up, Go Cubs. Down. Go Cubs. White Sox. Yeah, Cubs on a big streak. Oh, NHL in, NHL in trouble. Patrick Kane, not good.
Yeah, well, we'll find out what happens. Yeah. There's always some rumors. It's probably a setup. Thanks for listening, everyone. We are so pleased that you chose us to tune into and uh, spend some of your time. This has been episode number 13. We will see you again on Talk Sports. Meanwhile, go to our website, www.talksportscast.com. Sign up for us if you haven't. Download our episodes, and we will see you on the podcast airways again soon. Take care, everyone.